God bless you. You're too kind. You're, oh, I didn't tell you to sit down. You can still stand and clap if you want. That really kind of was motivating me. You want to do it again? No, I'm just teasing. All right. Uh, you know, to uh, I, I can sit here and, and go on all day about what we've done here. And uh, But proof's in the pudding. And God has done something here. It's, it's just goes to show that when you step out, that God will meet you. And uh, wherever you are today, you might be in something so over your head, you don't have a clue what you're gonna, how you're going to do it. Uh, just follow the leading of the Spirit of God. He'll help you. Amen. He's not here to abandon you. He's not here to, to leave you with all this stuff. He's, he's here to, to equip you. Amen. And I've got something I've got to do. I've got a deposit in me. And so, I mean, you can say that I'm the best thing in the world, but what good is it if, if you leave here unequipped? Because I, I have to equip you. All right, uh, first of all, i got to get rid of a gadget here. Hold on. I just booked my tickets to Ecuador. I am the mission's arm of this church. I go to the world. I've been to 27 countries. Bless God, this is going to be number 28. And I am so forever, ever pumped about going to Ecuador because this is not going to fall on the floor. All right. Father, we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for your anointing on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good fight. The good fight of faith. My youngest son, he was about four years old, and, and uh, so he was going about his business, and, and he, he walked outside, and there was a, he had this boy that he played with on and off, on and off, and then this little boy, about the same size, same age, would just somewhere out of nowhere wad up his fist and hit my four-year-old son right in the belly, and then he would run off. Just, and then, as a four-year-old would, you know, just you teach him how to love, how to play well, how to share. Uh, you don't teach them how to deal with mean. But there are mean out there. So here he came in, and finally, I did, I did everything I could for the, to this little boy. I, I counseled him, talked to him, threatened him. <laughs> I led him to Jesus. I did everything I knew for this boy to try to relieve this difficulty. But nonetheless, it didn't help. Only when I sat down and I talked to my son, I said, now listen, I know Jesus says turn the other cheek, but today we're going to learn how to defend yourself. <laughs> because some bullies won't quit until you make them quit. And so I taught him what he needed to know, and this, this poor young boy came out 
and he decided he was going to put it on him. And about this time, but, but this time, Pastor Brian was ready. <laughs> and he hit this boy, and that boy, it, that was the end of the bullying. As a matter of fact, from then on in, I think Brian just picked on him for fun's sake. Because it, it never, ever happened again. And you know, I, I, I've come to realize that a good fight's a fight you win. I was, a, I was a teenager, and I was a hippie in the 60s. I was, I, I, I was raised in Texas. I, almost my friends were goat ropers. And, uh, but I, I had a tendency towards, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Cream and all this stuff. You know, nobody even knows who those are anymore. But I had a tendency, and I loved all these guys. And I, I had, I, I, I kind of became, uh, well, I, since my friends were goat ropers, and, I, but, and they loved me. I had hair, and, and I, I don't know why it happened, but I got a little lit, and I decided that I was going to go to a rodeo, followed some pretty girls in, and I think, I think I remember, and I may not be accurate, but I had sandals on and shorts. So you know in the 60s, you didn't wear shorts down here. Shorts were... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's the truth. We did. And so I, and I, so I walk, and I don't remember whether I had a shirt on or not. I, I hate to think, I really think I went in shirtless. And all I remember hearing was, hippie. And that's it. I was about 15, 16 years old, and some grown man took a whipping to me. Uh, I, I was taken to the hospital, no life-threatening injuries. But you know what? I didn't walk away from that fight and said, that was a good fight. <laughs> I, I had so much fun in that fight. Why? Because I lost that fight. It was called a good fight of faith. Sandy and I, we've been married for 41, 42 years. Been serving the Lord for about 41. Yeah, she's gorgeous too, Amen. And, and I can tell you, we've been, we have been through some very difficult times. I could sing some sad stories, but and I, it, there was times it looked as if I was pinned to the carpet. It looked as if I, it was over. There was no way we were going to win. But I can honestly tell you today, we fought the good fight. We've not quit. Now, I'm going to give you some, I want to I, I help you today. I want to teach you how to fight the good fight of faith. I got five rules that you need to know if you want to win. First of all, Jesus has given you the advantage. The good fight of faith has been won, but it's a fight. So fight. You can't quit. Now, I know there's some people, there's two kinds of people in here. Number one is the sweet kinds. You're sweet. You don't cuss, you don't have a drinking problem. You have no conflicts in your marriage. You get up every morning, you pray, you read your Bible. Your kids are all well-behaved. Your car never breaks down. Everything's good for you. And then suddenly an attack comes. An attack that hits you from nowhere, and you can't figure out why something bad could happen to you because you've done nothing to deserve this. Now, there's probably, in this crowd looking around, probably 1% in that crowd. 
Because I look like around here, I said, this crew needs help. One percent maybe. I don't know. That's probably overestimating. And then there's the other hand, the other crowd. Uh, you love Jesus, but you still need a little work. Uh, yeah. you, you and Jesus, you know, you, you got an open debate about your attitude and your actions because you're not always <laughs> doing the right thing, and sometimes you still want to flip people off, and you have you you, you, you still every now and then you get too mad, you start words start coming out of your mouth that you did not want them to come. And, and you find yourself honestly drinking a little bit too much when you should have put the wine away. But, all, you know, there was, hey, it was almost gone, but I, I needed to, I, I, I couldn't let it go to waste. So, I, and so we find ourselves, we're dealing with our lives and we forget about the arguments in the home and the difficulties in our marriage. And, and then there's the people in here that you made a purposeful decision, and you did wrong. You walked right into it. You caused hardship for yourself. You caused embarrassment. The the shame of what you did has left you condemned. And you let the devil beat you up for it every day. Yeah, there's people like that here. And you... You know, my mama told me this, uh, son, you make your bed, you sleep in it. What you sow, you reap. And now then the enemy just shows up and he does to you what he wants when he wants and you walk away and say, I deserve worse. I deserve worse. I don't deserve anything. Today I want to wake you up, slap some sense into you and say, Stand up and fight. Jesus has done enough for you, so you need to stand up and fight. No matter where, who you are, what you've done, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. So you've got an unseen enemy that wars against you. He always will. He'll all, he's like a chigger. He bites you. He crawls up your legs, bites you in the vitals. You don't know when or how he got there, but ultimately you're sitting around and you've got a, something going on and it's on you, and you know you've been bit. You don't know how it happened, but ultimately you need some relief. And Jesus has given you the relief that you need. See, God's got a divine destiny for your life, and the enemy will do anything he can to stop it. What's more is, is he's marked your children for something even greater than what you have, and the enemy will do anything to keep you out of church. He doesn't want you to think that this really does work. See, Jesus defeated the devil of the cross. Jesus walked into hell, got the keys, and stepped out. He, has, he is forever victorious. His blood has covered all of our sin. He's done everything that we need. See, and so we step in, and we fight we fight the fight of faith because he has won the fight. It's not a fist fight. It's not a fight with your creditors. It's not a fight with your spouse. It's not a fight with the problems that surround you. It's not a fight with your doctor. It's, it's a fight of faith. It's a fight of faith. And so often, if you've been in Christianity at all, you've been to some churches that teach you that God has sent sickness, God sends problems and difficulties to you so he can grow you up. I want to slap stupid out of people like that. 
How in the world can you say such a thing? Jesus died so we can have abundant life. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so often we find the church world because they can't explain certain things, how, why bad things happen to good people. They flip it around and say, well, God caused it. Because they said, because they use the scripture, well, you know, God will take all things, all bad things, and he'll turn them into good. Well, no, God takes all bad things, turn them into good, because God's good. God doesn't do it because he's bad. Acts 10, 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good, went about doing good, went about doing good in healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So you've given your life to Jesus, and now then Jesus, what he did, he did good for you. Now then what God's called you to do is do the same things that Jesus did for you. See, you go about doing good. So you need to learn how to kick demon butt. And you need to not allow the enemy to run over you, your children, not over your finances. So you've got to raise your head up and begin to say, I'm not going to be passive anymore. I'm going to do something. I'm going to fight. See, God has called you to be a conqueror. He's made you to be an overcomer. He's, he's, he has he is put within your very DNA success. The blood of Jesus has provided abundance. He's provided healing. He's fi- provided prosperity. He's given it all to you. And you can go down on your knees and you can beg God. God, I'm begging, I'm begging, I'm begging. See, God's not moved by begging. God's never moved by begging. God's not, not, God's not moved by your need. He's not moved because you don't have enough. He's not moved by that. God is moved by faith. See, the currency of the kingdom of God is faith. It's faith. God used, looks at faith and says, you believe me? Okay, let me work for you. See, when you believe what the devil says, God can't work for you. That's why you got to believe the promises of God instead of all the negative that the devil can throw at you. See, so many people today, they just fold up and they quit. Second thing you've got to do is fight the good of faith. You've got to right hook is grace and your left jab is righteousness. This is how you fight with grace and righteousness. Romans 5, 17, and I know Pastor Brian and Crystal will bring this to light because they can preach forever right here. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, the word reign means here to have kingly dominion. It's to rule as a king. Are you reigning as a king? Are you getting your butt kicked? If you're getting your butt kicked in your marriage and your finances, you got a bad report from the doctor, what's up? God's called you to rule. Grace is your defense and, and righteousness is your offense. You will reign in life by knowing you're forgiven and calling yourself righteous. You cannot allow the enemy to condemn you, throw you into guilt, make you feel bad about yourself. If I did a, if I did this sur- a survey right here and suddenly, how many people talk bad about yourself looking in the mirror? How many call yourself stupid? How many call yourself names? Fat, ignorant, broke. My mama's sick, I was sick, I'll die sick. See, so many times we, talk, we, 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 <laughs> we give the devil, 
all the material he needs to turn around and turn it on us because we're agreeing with the devil, not with God. So you reign, through, you reign as a king through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You can't earn either one of these. There's nothing you can do to earn this. All this is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you reign. See, that is why you're able to break the habitual sin in your life because of what grace has done for you. Not because of your will. If you're going to use your willpower to break sin, you are, stuck, you are caught in, in what I call, well, I hate to use the word again, but still, it's a stupid cycle. You're just going around and around and around because you cannot discipline yourself to be godly. The only way that you can be godly is recognize that Jesus Christ is godly in you. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all your sin. That you don't, listen, sin no longer has dominion over you. The scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is, For he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, you are as righteous as Jesus. That some would stand to their feet and say heresy. How can you absolutely compare yourself as righteous as Jesus? That's because the blood has cleansed you and me from all, let's say all together, all unrighteousness. Wow. Right, if we stop right there, that's enough. Number three. Rules to win by. You have to talk to your opposition. I think they call it trash talk. Uh, you got to tell the devil he's defeated. Say, I know you, devil. You're going to hell. You're going to fry. All your buddies are going to fry. I'm not going there, but you are. So you remind him where he's going, and you remind yourself where you're going. So you, you have an opponent. And Jesus has defeated your opponent. So many people, we get, we get folks, I actually have heard it. I, I heard a well-known speaker that stood up and he was, he, I mean, we, the, the, the city had brought him in. This guy stood up. He's written so many books. And he says, at the end of the Old Testament, you could not tell who was winning, whether God or the devil. I went, are you kidding me? You got so many degrees that you become so stupid that you think that the devil ever had a chance. He threw him out of heaven. Throw him anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. See, so many people forget to confess the promises of God over their life. You have tremendous power in your life. Proverbs 18.20 says... A man's stomach or his heart or his life shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. From the fruit of your lips you shall be filled. From the fruit, not from your labor, from your lips. From you, what you say. See, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it or the fruit or the produce of it will eat its fruit. See, you can't go around saying what you feel just because you feel it. You gripe, complain, belly ache, and, 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 then, and, then, and then you know, say, well, I don't know why God's not blessing me. Well, because your own fruit of your mouth. You are jeopardizing your own life, darling. Now, I'm not wanting to be mean to you, 
But you need to clean up your mouth. I'm going to get everybody here a bar of soap, and we're going to wash our mouths out with soap. If that would do any good, we would. But ultimately, we find that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. It will just come up out of you. See, there's power in your lips. You can change the world by the words of your mouth. Your words are the material God uses to build your tomorrow. Your words are the material that God uses to build your tomorrow. Do an inventory. What have I said about myself, my wife, my kids? What have I said to promote success? The problem is, is we're our own worst critic. And we look at our spouse and says, they don't love me. You don't care for me. You look at yourself and you go, I'm such a bad mother. I'm not a good wife. You're not a good provider. We look at our kids and say, Why can, how can you be so stupid? We say things. We say things like, I'm trying to catch a cold. And then when you have some, the doctor puts something on you and says, you call it my cancer, my asthma, my back pain. And you ultimately claim it as something of your own. Oh, you're really majoring on such minor stuff. Oh, really? Am I? See, I'm not just standing here before you as some guy that just showed up with this. I've proven this. My kids have proven this. My daughter's preaching in Sulphur Springs this morning. My children here are pastoring a church. My grandkids are going to change the world. Because I believe in this. Jesus, oh man, I gotta go. I like this 45 minute stuff better than this. Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Not you, you can put it up there if you want to, but I'm just gonna tell you the quick story of it. Jesus sleep on a pillow. Windstorm comes through, and here these seasoned sailors are out, and they're fighting this, this, this storm. The wind is horrible. The waves are even worse, and they think that they're going to die. So they go down into the belly of the ship. They wake up Jesus. Jesus is asleep. Now, Jesus is asleep on a pillow, and, and they wake him up. Now, Jesus is really concerned about the storm. No, he's asleep. He's not concerned about the storm. Now, uh, now I, I have a question. What would have happened if they would not woke up Jesus? The Jerusalem Times would have read, Jesus and the disciples died at sea. No. No. I wouldn't have read that at all because Jesus was in control even when he was asleep. See, it doesn't really matter what the enemy decides because Jesus was in control. Now, now they woke him up. Now, he wasn't happy when, he woke him, when they woke Jesus up because they, they said, Jesus, this, this is what they said, Jesus, don't you care we are perishing. No, that's a negative confession. We are going to die. It's over and you don't care. You're asleep. You can at least get up and worry with us, Lord. Now, Jesus, Jesus, he goes up and he rebukes the wind 
And he says to the sea, peace be still. Now, what that really means is, shut up! And instantly, if you've ever been on an ocean that's roaring, if you, instantly the ocean goes, and the wind goes, and Jesus goes, And they look at him and they go, who can this be? Now, I got a question. Why did they wake Jesus up? If they didn't think he could quiet the storm, huh? why did they wake him up? If they didn't think he could quiet the storm, why did they wake him up? Because they were, they were, they were, they were standing with their bucket. Here, Jesus, you got to help us. You got to bail. Jesus, you got to bail us out. And that's the problem with us, see. We sometimes give Jesus a bucket. Here, Jesus, bail us out. When Jesus can quiet the storm, see, Jesus can quiet the storm. Jesus can quiet the storm. But really, the, the, really the kicker is this, as the disciples never had storm calming 101. But yet he chewed them out. I mean, chewed them out. Why are you fearful and how is it that you have no faith? Chewed them out. Okay, Jesus, what did you think that we should do? You should have done what I did. Say, peace, be still. If you would have said it, it would have worked for you. But they didn't get it. Now, here we are all these years later, and we're still not speaking to the storms in our life. We're not talking to things. Man, I'm going to skip the definition of faith because I'm going to just skip Hebrews 11.1 because i got to do this. You have faith, first of all, and everyone has faith. Pastor Brian and Crystal and my wife and I, we prayed about, because we were on the knife's edge. Either Pastor Brian was going to take over my church and I was going to go to the world, or they were going to come to Roy City. And he placed it all on me. I'll stay here, Dad, and serve you the rest of my life. I really don't know what to do. But I really got this thing in my heart. That's okay. And so we prayed, and the Lord spoke. And it cost it cost them, and it cost us. It was the most costly seed I had ever sown, not only emotionally, but financially. <laughs> and it's still costing. Why? Because they're just beginning in this. See, this is good, but land has to be bought. Now then, you, you need to learn how to say million. Million, because that's what you need. You need millions. You've got to have some money come in here. You've got to do it. See, see, God's got more for you to do. Number four, you have to talk to yourself if you're going to fight the good fight. Oh, my gosh. This is the best part. Here we go. But what does it say? Romans 10, 8, 10. But what does it say? The word of God is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess, if you what? If you what? With your mouth, 
And uh, wait a minute, I've messed up. With your mouth, the Lord Jesus, am I in the right place? All right. The Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto what? Unto what? So how do you get unto salvation? By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. How do you get into healing? By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. How do you get into prosperity? By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. See, everything you need is here. By the worst you do is you get the word of God on it, you believe it in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth. You can change anything by believing in your heart and confessing it with your mouth. So often we get held up. We don't understand the power of our words or we just go quiet. See, so often we look around and we say, nothing's working. I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Don't you dare play those keys. Now I'm telling you. I was, listen, that's all right. I'm going to finish on time. I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And I think the last of 2010, beginning of 2011, I had pneumonia, congestive heart failure. My heart, that my infraction fraction rate was 27%. That's how much my entire body was getting, 27% blood. That's how I could not. I went to uh, nine days after I was out of the hospital. I was in El Salvador in Costa Rica preaching. We did 15 days up there preaching, and, and I was weak as water. I could not pull my own suitcase through the, the airport, saying you had to do it for me. I'd walk up steps and have to stay, stay and get my breath. I'd pray for people. Power of God hit them. They'd go down on the floor. It was amazing. But then I ran out of my own breath. I was dying. The doctors had done everything they were. One week out before they put a defibrillator in me, had no peace about it. I was believing God. See, I'm not going to say I'm going to die. I'm going to say what God says. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless your holy name. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm not going to forget your benefits. You forgive all my iniquities and you heal all my diseases. By the stripes that was laid upon Jesus' back, I was healed. I am healed. I continue to confess that. Continue to believe God for that. The doctor says, you're going to die. You're going to die. They wouldn't honestly tell me that, but I figured it out. So you can't agree with the devil. You can't agree with what the doctors say. You've got to agree with what God says. And I never will forget it. May 29, 2011, my father-in-law came. Brian was, Pastor Brian was doing the, the worship service, and he was up front and had a light crowd, first service. My father-in-law walked up to me and said, Son-in-law, i got to pray for you. God won't leave me alone. And he, and he laid hands on me. Now, we've been believing, been praying. Only a select amount of people really knew how things were going with us. And they were coming to us in prayer, doing the best they could. My wife would tell you, she said, death. I mean, I, I have ta- I've looked death right in the face. I know what it looks like, not literally, but I know the feeling of it when you feel life draining out of your body. My wife was too good looking for me to die because if I died somehow, she'd marry some other hairy-legged man. I couldn't think of that thought. And he prayed for me. And there in the midst, God healed me. Jesus had healed me before creation. 
But only when I determined to continue to put pressure on what God said about me did I begin to see the fruit. See, it doesn't take anything to see what you see and confess what you got. You've got to see what God sees for your life and confess what he says. Wherever you are in your life, faith will work for you. It will grow. You have to make a priority to get here. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to make a decision. I'm, this, I'm not only doing this for me, but for the future fights I have. Because you are come here today to be equipped by the power of God. And this man and woman of God and this team can help you do that. We purposely put him, them here strategically, and we're just at the beginning stages. This church needs great faith because you have great things to do.